Well, believe it or not, the pages on the calendar have not stopped turning, and we're already seven days into 2024. I believe this is going to be a great year, not because it's going to be an easy year, not because everything's going to go our way, not because everything's going to happen in a way that we expected it to happen. Uh, Life just doesn't work that way, but I believe that 2024 is going to be a great year because God is with you. And God has promised to never leave you. God has promised that he will never forsake you. In fact, this is something that we know to be true. If you release control of whatever happens in 2024, if you just release it to God right now, I believe that just that intentional act of releasing control to God is going to be to your benefit as you go throughout this year. There's a word Uh, that's become common over the last number of years, and it's the word adulting. You've probably heard this word. Adulting is what happens when you and me, when we choose to face the responsibilities of life, when we choose to get up and go to work and earn that paycheck and pay down that debt and raise those kids and pay the mortgage or pay the rent or uh, get home, take out the garbage, make dinner, clean up after dinner, put the kids to bed, hopefully get some me time or some us time and then turn out the lights, hopefully fall asleep and then get up and do it all over again. And as so many people have observed on social media, adulting is hard. Adulting is not for the faint of heart. In fact, just looking over that list of things can make us say, I don't like that. And I just want to go back to my Christmas pajamas and pretend it's like 2023 is not over. And, you know, and and anybody with me on that? Some days you just feel like, man, is this hard to turn back into the new year and the new season? Um, But unfortunately, responsibility is what we have. It's just a part of life. But what comes with it are things like anxiety and stress and pressure and worry. And all of these things, by the way, are on the rise in our culture and in our society. It seems like we have more stress, we have more pressure, we have more worries, we have more struggles, and at younger ages than ever before. Today I want to talk to you about a biblical concept that I believe can help you and me and as we face all of these responsibilities. It's a concept that I think we've lost sight of over the years and if you could grab hold of this concept, I believe that there could be a turnaround in your life and a turnaround for your family and a turnaround for your work life. It's a concept of stewardship. When I think about stewardship, I think about releasing control. If I'm the owner, that means that I have complete control and yet I also have complete responsibility. If I'm a steward, that means I'm managing something that's owned by somebody else. And when we give our lives to Jesus, one of the things that happens is we are faced with a choice. Do I continue to act as the leader of my life or do I release control and begin to treat my life not as my own, but as something that I'm a steward of? A part of stewardship is about releasing control over to God. The Bible puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 4 when it talks about stewardship. It says, now a person who's put in charge as a manager must be faithful. And this phrase, put in charge as a manager, is often translated into English with the word steward. A steward is somebody who uh, is given a trust 
They're not the real owner. They have been given the responsibility to manage something on behalf of the real owner. And the idea behind stewardship is that all of the responsibilities that you and I have, these things that our culture calls adulting, taking care of your career, taking care of yourself, taking care of all of your work responsibilities and and, uh, being a good employee, running your household, managing your money, In all of these things, the concept of stewardship says that you and I don't really own any of it, but God has placed us in charge as a manager over all these things. Jesus is described as a faithful steward. In fact, the author of Hebrews makes the argument that Jesus is the greatest steward who has ever lived. He says, you know what? We need to think about Jesus and think about who he was. And here's what he says. He says, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners those who are, with those who are called to heaven. Think carefully about Jesus, who, who we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him. Now, the first thing you might think about when you read that statement is that Jesus sounds like he's human and that he's not God. He, he was faithful to God who appointed him. The next verse clarifies that for us. It says, but Christ, as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. So there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And Hebrews is saying that Jesus was faithful to God the Father, even though Jesus was God the Son. Jesus gave up ownership and took up the role of a faithful steward. The Father has put the Son in charge of his entire house. That's the image that Hebrews is giving to us. Jesus is the faithful steward. And you might say, okay, Steve, that sounds like Jesus took on a role where he had a lot of responsibility. So to be a steward actually sounds like a big deal. It's a big responsibility. I mean, think about all of the things that Jesus was responsible for. Jesus was responsible to represent God on earth. And that's a huge responsibility as he is meeting with people and interacting people. He is representing who God is and the heart of God and the love of God. Jesus was responsible to resist Satan's temptations so that he could be a spotless sacrifice. Jesus was responsible to begin a movement that would grow to become a church that would eventually be in every nation and in almost every language around the world. He was responsible to be as a leader to pick the right people and to train them and mentor them and set them up for success so that they could launch this movement that would go around the world. And Jesus was responsible to go to the cross and take on your sin and my sin as a sacrifice to fulfill everything that God had promised would happen. You think about it, that's a huge responsibility. You, you want to talk about adulting. You want to talk about not wanting to get up in the morning and go to work. You want to talk about feeling stresses and anxieties and pressures and responsibilities of life. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Why do you think Jesus prayed so much? Why do you think he got up early in the morning and just went to spend time with the Heavenly Father and went to be with him and pray? What do, what do you think? Why do you think he was sitting there in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he was crucified? because he was filled with the weight of being put in charge, of of being responsible for all of these things. And the author of Hebrews says, think about Jesus. Think about all that he went through. Think about all that he endured, and he was faithful to God who appointed him. Jesus was a faithful steward. Jesus said this about stewardship in Luke chapter 12. He said, a faithful and sensible servant 
is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. In other words, Jesus says that stewardship is about two things. Stewardship is about managing and stewardship is about providing. Now again, that sounds like responsibility. All of this sounds like more stress, more anxiety, more weight, more worry, and Jesus certainly had some of that. But actually, for the most part, when we look at Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching, we don't see somebody who is stressed. We don't see somebody who's anxious or burdened or overly worried. We see somebody who's carefree. We see somebody who's full of life. We see somebody who's at parties and social gatherings, somebody who's enjoying conversations with all kinds of people, whether it's his opposition or his friends or people who are curious about him. When you look at Jesus and how he lived life, you see a guy who was carefree and full of laughter and full of joy, and yet he had all of this responsibility. So how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus take up all of his responsibility as a steward and live in such a way that it didn't cripple him, but he actually enjoyed life and reveled in it? It's because Jesus understood that stewardship can sound stress-inducing. It's an incredibly freeing thing because it's about cooperating with God towards the goals and desires that God has for our lives. If you take a look at Jesus' life, he was constantly saying things like, I only see what I, what the, what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing. Uh, this is actually a stewardship saying, Jesus is saying out of his humanness that all of this responsibility could cripple me, but I'm gonna give it up to the Father and I'm gonna trust and I'm gonna be faithful to the Father and, and, and so I'm gonna go the, to the Father, I'm gonna talk to him, I'm gonna give up all of these pressures that I feel and these things that I could be doing, and I'm only going to do what I see the Father doing. Jesus also said things like, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus surrendered his will. He surrendered control of what he wanted in that moment. He gave control to the Father, and in doing these things and in living life this way, Jesus is modeling for us what it means to be a faithful steward. You know, responsibility is hard, You've been given a responsibility, you've been given a trust, you've been given people in your life who you are providing for, yourself, your spouse, your kids if you have them, your pets if you have them, your employees if you have them, your career, your gifts, your talents. We hear, hear people say all the time, don't waste your life, don't waste your gifts, don't waste your talents. And our inner critic tells us, you know, that was your responsibility, you blew it. You messed up, you need to do better. And the question we sometimes ask is, how am I supposed to handle it all? How am I supposed to do it all? And sometimes we find ourselves saying, I just can't do this. Something I realized a number of years ago when I looked at my prayer life, I realized that I was praying like I was the owner. And in my prayer life, I had a list of all the things I was responsible for and all the things I had to take care of. And one after another, I would pray through this list and I would ask God, hey God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to take care of that. God, I need you to manage this. God, I've got this problem I need you to solve. And my prayer life was a, things that, a list of things that I, I wanted or needed God to do because I was the owner and God was helping me do the job. And that's what my prayer life revealed to me when I, when I took a look at it. That I was the owner, God was my helper. Um, 
You ever pray like that? You ever find that your prayer life is like that? Now, if you had have asked me, I would have said, no, I'm, I'm a steward and God's the owner and I'm being responsible to God. But if I'm being honest, I prayed like I was the owner and I prayed like God owed it to help me. And so I started to radically change my prayer life and I changed it in a way that reflected the fact that God is the owner. And, and I'm just cooperating with God towards the goals that he already cares about, towards the people that he already loves way more than I, I do. Here's what I did, I started to thank God rather than just ask things from God. And my prayer life, I don't know how many years I've been doing this, quite a few years now. My prayer life these days is, God, I thank you for my wife. God, I give to you her provision and her protection and her hopes and her dreams and her goals and her career. And I release all of these things to you. They belong to you. God, show me how I can help you to care for my wife. And about my kids, I started to pray, God, I thank you for my kids, and God, I give to you their provision and their careers and their relationships and their goals and their hopes and their ambitions and their protection. I release them to you. God, show me how I can help you to care for my kids. And I started to pray for myself, God, I release to you my hopes and my dreams and my ambitions, and God, I give you my career and, and my future and my protection and my provision, and I release all of these things to you. God, show me what you need me to do co to cooperate with you so that I can serve you with my life the best way possible. And then when I pray for our church, when I pray for all of you, I just say, Lord, I thank you for Hillcrest, and God, I release to you the people of Hillcrest. I release their hopes and their dreams and their visions and their goals. And I release all of that to you. And God, I pray that you would show me what you need me to do to help them, to honor you and to love you and to follow you. And God, I thank you that you're gonna provide for this church. And God, I thank you that you're gonna protect this church. And I wanna tell you that a peace has come over me as I've started to pray that way. Because I'm a problem solver by nature. I, my nature is to see problems and try to fix them. And, and it can be very easy for me just to jump into solving people's problems. But the reality is life can't work that way. You and I can't be responsible for everything. You and I, we're not God. We are not all-knowing. We are not all-present. We are not all-powerful. You and I don't have the capacity to control everything, but if we can co cooperate with God towards the goals that he has for our lives, then our life can be just so much more filled with joy and life and laughter. I wanna encourage you, before we even continue on with the message, I wanna ask you, does your prayer life reflect the fact that you are a steward? Or do you sound in your prayer life like you're the owner and God's gonna help you fix all this stuff? I mean, you don't get the answer that you want. Does that reveal that you're kind of acting like the owner? And you're kind of expecting that God should do what you want. He should do it the way you want it to be done. Does your prayer life reveal who the real owner of your life is? I believe that stewardship, which is this concept of cooperating with God towards the goals and desires that God has for us, I believe this concept can free you up 
And, and as you release control to God, you are going to feel less stress, less anxiety, less worry. You'll sleep better at night. And that's what this series is about. Over the course of this series, I want to share with you three keys over the next three Sundays that we see in the life of Jesus. And these three keys can release you from the burden of ownership and move you into the freedom of stewardship. Three things that we see in Jesus' life as a steward. That's what we're going to talk about over the next three Sundays. But in the time I have remaining, I just want to share four simple secrets about being a good steward. Just really quickly, four secrets about stewardship. The first secret is this. Stewardship is about taking responsibility and releasing unhealthy control. If we're being honest, a lot of the stress and a lot of the worry that we experience in life is about control. We're trying to control things that we were never meant to control, and in doing so, we end up causing harm to our relationships, to our friendships, to our families, and to our workplace. And stewardship can free us up from that kind of unhealthy control. Studies show that when we try to control things that are out of our hands, it negatively affects our lives. No surprise here. We experience increased stress, increased anxiety, less satisfaction with life. We become more critical of people around us. What is unhealthy control? What do I mean by that? Well, you may try to exert unhealthy control over people by micromanaging them. Or you might try to exert unhealthy control by bullying or taunting somebody or mocking somebody to get them to do what you want. Or you might exert unhealthy control by kind of being a little shady, a little dishonest with somebody to get what you really want in the end. Or you might exert unhealthy control by being overprotective. And so then you're constantly needing to do something for somebody that you're overprotecting rather than training them and releasing them to do what they need to do. What healthy control is, is healthy control is taking responsibility for yourself. It's taking responsibility for your attitudes and your actions and your responses and leaving to other people in your life their responsibility for their attitude and their actions and their responses. And it's saying, I can only be responsible for me. I can only be responsible for my attitude. And so I'm not going to let their bad attitude gravitate towards me. I can only be responsible for my actions. I'm not going to try to micromanage their actions. I can only be responsible for my response. I'm not going to worry about how they respond. I'm going to give them the freedom to respond the way they need to. Healthy control is taking responsibility for what you are responsible to oversee. So you're not worried about what your partner's doing or your you know, co-manager or another manager in your company is doing. You're worried about what you're responsible to oversee. And you're taking a hands-on approach in managing that responsibility, but you're not stressed about what others are doing or not doing. Healthy control is recognizing that you're not in control of the results, you're only in control of setting up the process. So, you know, as parents, there's things that we want to train our kids to do, and by the time they kind of hit, you know, teenage years and, and moving on into their young adult years, we want them to know certain things and do certain things, and so, uh, so, so we want to kind of make that happen, and sometimes we can do it in a way that overly controls and micromanages and all that kind of stuff, and and you're not responsible ultimately for the results of what your kids choose to do with all these things. You're responsible for setting up the process and establishing the basics and loving them and walking with them as they're 
going through life and, and, and then releasing them to learn and to grow. Second secret about stewardship is stewardship is about building a deep trust relationship with God. Jesus talks about stewardship in Luke chapter 12 and the whole chapter, there's different stories and different things about stewardship. And, and Jesus says that a steward is gonna manage things well and a steward is gonna provide and a steward is gonna care for, provide for people under their care. And, and so we're, we're not wrong in thinking that uh, a part of stewardship is, is as we take things uh, under our control and manage them and try to make them better. When we exercise wise stewardship, things should grow, things should get better, things should go well, right? As, as we're learning to do it well and as we're, we're growing in stewardship, things will go well. But Jesus told a story where he was kind of cautioning us about the idea that stewardship is only about making something bigger and better. It's this story where a man owns a farm and he owns a farm in some of the richest farmland in his region. It's very valuable land, it's very productive land. He's looking for ways to maximize his returns. So he, in a sense, what he's thinking about is, he's thinking, how can I be a good steward of what God has given to me? And the man decides to tear down his barns and build bigger barns. And from the outside looking in, it seems like this guy is only trying to be a good steward. But Jesus is negative about this guy. Because it turns out the guy's motive is greed. And it turns out the guy's motive is only to build um, a security for himself with these big barns. And he wants to do this because he likes the idea of bigger and better. Because it was what it does for him. And he likes this idea of security and he says he wants to eat and drink and just enjoy life because he's got these big barns filled with grain. He can sell the grain when he needs some resources and he can turn the grain into, into uh, beer or whatever and he can just enjoy his life. He wants an investment that's going to lead to a secure future. And stewardship is, is about taking one kind of resource. You know, we take our labor and we turn it into another kind of resource, which is money, and the problem with our money in our bank account is it's kind of like the barns for this guy in this story. Money brings security. Money brings this feeling that, okay, things are okay. You know, I've got a little bit of money in the bank and things are okay. I, you know, if, I, if I've got a little trouble, I can, I can manage it. And, and, and the problem with money is it's just like these barns for this guy. And we want to accumulate bigger barns. We want to accumulate a bigger bank account. We want to accumulate you know, a bigger pension plan or whatever, because we want that security. And, and, and having a large amount on deposit can just make us feel better about life. It can make us feel more, more secure about life. And, and so when it comes to the idea of parting with our money, it feels like we're gonna be less secure. Oh, I've gotta pay this. Oh, I don't wanna do that because I'm giving up security. Money for us today is like the barns were for this guy. But Jesus is telling us that the end goal of stewardship is not greed. It's not about building security. It's not about getting more and gaining more and producing the best kind of kids and building the greatest company and having the biggest barns. And stewardship is not about financial security so that we can just sit back and enjoy life. Stewardship is about first having a rich relationship with God. Jesus says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship towards God. 
So we might be tempted to think stewardship is about building something bigger and building something better and taking something from point A to point B. And and to some extent, stewardship is about that. It's about using your gifts and your talents and your abilities. And when you do that, there can be an increase sometimes and there can be a blessing sometimes and there can be an overflow sometimes. But Jesus challenges our motivation here and he says, if your motivation to be a steward is greed and it provides security, then, then you're on the wrong path. Your, your success as a steward is not gonna be measured by how great your kids are, how big your company is, how big your stock portfolio is, what kind of car you drive. Life is not measured by what you own. Your success as a steward starts with being rich towards God. And that's the second secret to stewardship. It's not about how rich you are or how secure you are. It's about how rich you are towards God. Jesus had very little wealth. Jesus had very little earthly security, but Jesus lived a life full of joy and laughter because he had this rich relationship with his heavenly father. He took his burdens, he took his worries, he took his his concerns, all that stuff to the father. He was rich not because he had barns filled with grain. Jesus was rich because he had a rich relationship with the father. Stewardship is about looking forward with trust and faith and trusting God that he is gonna care, that he is gonna provide. Third secret about stewardship is stewardship is about seeking the kingdom of God above all other things. The end of goal of stewardship is not worry. The idea that we're stewards, that we're responsible to take care of things, it's not meant to induce worry and anxiety in us, but releasing our worries to God who is our ultimate provider. Okay, so I'm responsible for all these things. How am I gonna provide? How am I gonna manage all this? And Jesus says, don't be concerned. In Luke 12, 12, he says this. Don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink and don't worry about such things. These things dominate the minds and thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and God will supply every need. Final secret of stewardship is that stewardship is about being a faithful servant toward the responsibilities God has given. The end goal of stewardship, Jesus tells this story about people waiting for their master to return. And he says, be ready, because you don't know when your master's gonna return. And, And the end goal of stewardship is not about perfection. It's about being ready, and it's about being found faithful. Here's what Jesus says in the midst of this parable. He says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. Four simple secrets to stewardship. I wanna invite the worship team uh, to come up. We're gonna move towards communion, but just before we do that, I wanna give you four really quick tips on how you can release unhealthy control. First of all, recognize and focus on what you can control. Sometimes we focus too much on the things we can't control. Sometimes it just helps us so much to just start to focus on, okay, what can I control? I'm gonna release to God what I can't. 
Identify feelings and thoughts that lead you to take control. So maybe it's frustration, maybe it's worry, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's anger, whatever those feelings and thought that lead you to grab control, identify those things and bring those to God. Accept yourself, accept others for who they are. Uh, You know, this is a big one, right? We're trying to micromanage people around us. Sometimes we need to just bless the people around us and accept them and just say, God's working on them. God's working on me and I'm just gonna love them. I'm not going to try to overmanage them. And focus on what's going well and leave the results up to God. Those are just some simple tips that can maybe help you as you're releasing control and as you begin to operate as a steward and, and recognize that God is ultimately the owner of it all. I want to invite Pastor Mike up. He's going to lead us into communion. As we enter into this time of communion, if you miss the elements coming in or you need a gluten-free option, just raise your hand really high and the ushers will bring those forth, uh, get those to you. Paul says to us that we're supposed to examine ourselves before we take communion, before we do this act of remembrance and recognize what Jesus did in our lives and for us. So take this time now to listen to the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit is speaking to you what's going on in your life that he wants you to be aware of. And let's prepare as we, as we celebrate this moment together. That's why we're here. And Paul says to us, he says, For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And so, Father, we recognize that we we celebrate this moment recognizing who you are as our Father and the beautiful gift you gave us of Jesus Christ. We recognize that Jesus Christ, you came to this earth to to live a perfect, to live a perfect life, to become the sacrifice for us, to take away all those things in our lives that separate us from your love. And Holy Spirit, we open our hearts and our minds to you that you would speak to us, 
and you would teach us what we need to know in order to be more like Jesus in our actions, in our thoughts, and in our behaviors, that we might bring you glory. And so, Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for the blood. Pray in Jesus' name. And then he took, he took the bread and he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So do this in remembrance of me. same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an arrangement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink this together and then Paul he said for every time you do this, every time you drink and every time you eat the bread, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. And so this is the calling that God has given each and every one of us. He's given us that calling to share the death, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not just for you, but for your friends and your families, even those who persecute you, even your enemies, to show love for them. So Heavenly Father, I pray for us as a people I pray for us as a church that we would humbly recognize the responsibilities that you've given us. Also recognize those things that you haven't given us. Lord, you've given us the calling to be faithful in whatever that is in our life and our ministry. So God, equip your people for great works, that you'd be glorified in this church and in Jesus Christ, that you'd be glorified in this city. Because we want to see this building overflowing with people coming to know you and growing in the relationship and loving you like we have come to know you and love you too. So Father, we bless your name and we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ and all God's children said, Amen, Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. As we always do, we take a community cares offering on the first Sunday of the month and this is an offering that we, we take and give all to our community to help them, to help those in need. And let me just take an opportunity just to, um, to thank you and recognize just your amazing generosity in 2023. What a beautiful year it was. And so now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or we can even imagine, through his power that's at work with each and every one of us, be glory in this church in each and every one of your lives and in Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.